high and deep. Touchdown, Wisconsin! And this game is underway with a bang! This is where the lacrosse area gathers to talk Wisconsin sports. The Wisco Sports Show is on the air. Join in by phone or text at 796-2558. Now, here's Grant Bills. Of course, we're going to continue to sift through the new Packers head coach, Matt LaFleur, maybe what we can expect from him after he was introduced yesterday and maybe how he's going to put together a staff, all the wheels that are spinning over the next couple of weeks. We're going to talk about that. Uh, Lots of discussion. We finally get to talk Brewers today. We were going to do it yesterday, and we pushed it back. We ran out of time, and you know what? It all worked out because the Brewers made a move last night. We're going to talk about that coming up at 530, but man, I'm excited because we have the opportunity here on the Wisco Sports Show today to talk to one of the busiest, one of the most in-demand men in Wisconsin sports. That is Bill Michaels. He joins us right away here on the Five Star Telecom Talk and Text Line. Bill, thank you so much for taking a couple of minutes. What's going on today? Hey, my pleasure. Glad I could be here. Yeah, Bill, let's let's talk about this new Packers coach. So it was just on Monday, man. It feels like so much has happened. When it was announced, I want your first, your gut reaction. What was the first word out of your mouth, your first thought? Matt LaFleur is going to be the head coach. What did you think right away? I thought Young uh, hasn't been challenged, and is he going to be able to garner Aaron Rodgers' opinion and be able to work with Aaron Rodgers? I mean, that was my first opinion. I think uh, much like Andrew Brandt said to us today, that you had to go look his resume up. You had to see what his qualifications were. I mean, you, you knew the name, but did you really know the guy and the coaching pedigree and the history that he was coming from? So I think that's the first thing that I thought to do. And then after I started reading a little more about him and trying to get a little more uh, information and talking to a few people that I know down in Tennessee, um, he, he doesn't wow you, um, but he's at least more than competent. And I think people are looking for a guy that's going to be energized, and I think he's certainly that. Mike McCarthy was kind of the same way. It's not that I think that Matt LaFleur is not capable of being a good head coach, but he's kind of like Mike McCarthy. Mike McCarthy came in here as a quarterback's coach and a play caller and a guy that was trying to kind of cut his teeth, and then all of a sudden, bam, he's the head coach of the Green Bay Packers. He comes in with a lot of, uh, you know, blue-collar, Pittsburgh, bar owner bravado, and he got the job done. And this is a guy that believes in his family, a guy that's very enthusiastic, a guy that clearly wears his emotions on his sleeve, a guy that's not afraid to get into uh, you know, Aaron Rodgers and coach him up. I read some of the things that Trent Dilfer had to say about how he will coach 12 hard. And Aaron Rodgers, I think, wants that. I think he craves that. So if all of that works out and he hires the right people, which I think is uh, paramount at this point, yeah. and then obviously after that, Brian Gutekind has to put the right personnel on the field. But uh, I think if all that happens, then in the next year or two, you're talking about a team that's not only going back to the postseason, but maybe a team that is well-equipped then to make a true Super Bowl run. And it's funny you brought up Mike McCarthy. I wanted to ask you, because you're a little bit older than me, you experienced some of these coaching hires in a little bit more detail or obviously can remember more. This whole national narrative especially has been these teams are just trying to find a piece of Sean McVay. They're trying to find that guy. Well, maybe that fits the bill with Lafleur. but when you actually look at the previous head coaching hires for the Packers, Lafleur fits their M.O. even if he wasn't. Uh, related in any way to Sean McVay. Do, do you think it was a reach trying to fit that trend, or do you think it was just the Packers fitting their M.O. And, and the precedent and the way they've done things in the past? Or maybe it's a combination of both. Well, I think you, you go back and remember Mike McCarthy, I think, was 41 when they hired him. So, I mean, he was a younger head coach. He wasn't one of those older retreads that had been there, done that. And I think everybody's trying to find the next. Remember, when Sean Payton was hired, Mike McCarthy was hired, Mike Tomlin was hired, these are guys that were all assistants. They were breaking the mold at the time. 
And now they're breaking the mold not only in, in bringing in assistants and up-and-comers, but they're also going a lot younger since Sean McVay was able to do it at the age of 31. But there's something to be said for the experience of wrapping your arms around an organization, and it's a big deal to go from being a coordinator and a play caller to suddenly you have to do appearances. You have to be involved in player personnel decisions. You're going to do additional scouting. You're going to be talking to the general manager about personnel, what your needs are, salary cap expectations. I mean, all of that kind of stuff. You're going to be reading all of the data for both the offense and the defense, not just the quarterbacks and the wide receivers, but for everybody. They do GPS in Green Bay where they're paying attention to every player on the team. Where do they go? What do they do? What are their sleep habits? All of that stuff you need to be absorbed with. So you have to be somebody that is very organized. You have to be somebody that is very detail-oriented. You have to be somebody that is very communicative, and you have to be somebody that is very, very, uh, I guess, confident in your own ability. Otherwise, you're going to drown. We saw that with Ray Rhodes. Ray Rhodes, he knew what to do as a defensive coordinator, but he drowned when it came to being a head coach, and he just couldn't get his head above water. That's why this job is so different than just coming in and being a coordinator and being a young guy. You have to have detail-oriented mind to be able to handle it. So we'll find out if he does, but... It's funny because if you list all the qualifications you wanted in a head coach and said, oh, by the way, it would be great if he had some Super Bowl experience, the guy you were looking for was Mike McCarthy. Yeah. Unfortunately, that's the guy you got rid of. No, we talked about that at length uh, before the McFleur hire that McCarthy may have been the best candidate minus his previous interaction with the Packers, which is hilarious. Bill Michaels, host of the Bill Michaels Show. You hear him every day, 11 to 2 here on WKTY, joining me for just a little bit on the Five Star Telecom Talk and Text Line. I wanted to ask you about Mark Murphy because more so than anyone in our state, you hear from people from every corner, every walk of life, every city, every area of the state. The the feel about Mark Murphy right now is he's not very popular. I want to ask you, is that fair? Or do you think Packers fans, now that Thompson is out and, and Dom Capers is out and McCarthy, that they just need somebody new to criticize? Do you think that criticism is fair? Or do you think that's just the nature of sports fandom, especially in this state? I, I think it's unfair. Everybody's looking for somebody to blame. And everybody wanted Ted out, so they got Ted out. And then the play calling was stale and predictable, so they got rid of Mike. So they had nobody else to blame. Gutekinds has only been in the job a year, so you can't blame him for the things that went wrong. So, well, it had to be Mark Murphy. He had to know about it. It's unfair. Mark Murphy did exactly what Bob Harlan did. That was hire the, the, the person. Remember when Mark Murphy took over, Ted Thompson was here. Aaron Rodgers was here. Mike McCarthy was here. He just took over for Bob Harlan, who was leaving the organization in very capable hands. And then the year that Mark Murphy gets here, they go on and win a Super Bowl. So everything makes it look really easy. But Mark Murphy was the guy that was on the watch the last couple of years of Ted Thompson. So you can't blame Ted anymore. So it has to be the personnel. So it has to be Mark's fault. And remember, Bob Harlan said, as a, as a president, you got to stay out of the football way and you got to make sure that you don't get in the way of the general manager, let them do their thing. Well, the problem is Mark did that. He did exactly that. And then you saw what happened. So Mark basically said, look, there has to be a happy medium here because you can't allow the general manager to be the Lord and God over everything because that's when all of a sudden the segregation and the separation happens inside your own walls. So he became very involved, and Brian Gutekunst is good with that. I don't think Mark Murphy is sitting on a throne saying, this is Murphy world and it's my reign and I'm the king here. I think what he's saying is, is I'm not going to allow all the problems that started to exist at the end of the Mike McCarthy and Ted Thompson tenure to start to re- reappear. So we're going to go ahead and take the bull by the horns. I'm going to be in charge of this. But after this, I would assume you're going to start to see Mark Murphy kind of fade off into the into the background because now you're down to player personnel moves. Unless they get involved in like a big-time free agent move where Mark Murphy just basically has to know about it and sign off on it, my assumption is 
that Mark Murphy's going to fade away and it's going to become Brian Gutekinds and you're going to Matt LaFleur and you're going to see a lot more of the assistant coaches and you're going to see a lot more of just the player personnel side of things. But Mark, look, let's be honest. Mark Murphy's job is to make money. Yeah. People get mad, mad because they make money. He is, he, because if they don't make money, they're the smallest market in all of professional sports, not the NFL, in all of professional sports. You don't make money like Bob Harlan did and you don't get that renovation project done. This team is no longer in Wisconsin. His job is to keep that legacy alive and that's to make money. We were talking about Mark Murphy yesterday, and I heard, I heard you were breaking down uh, the press conference to start your show today. Mark Murphy wants to come across as, as the best man for the job. He wants to hire the coach, and, and he's had to defend himself multiple times. But I, I got to be honest, Bill, when I listen to him speak at press conferences, he does not give off a vibe of competence and of expertise. He, he seems to want to joke. He seems to kind of want to tell stories. Do you see that discrepancy like I do? I'm not saying that he's not a great executive, but the, the, the optics and what I see don't really match up with the way he's tried to present himself. No, he's, he's a very smart guy. And put it this way, had Roger Goodell decided to step down a couple of years ago when things got really thick in the NFL and there was a lot of call maybe for his head, the next guy that was going to be the commissioner of the National Football League was Mark Murphy. So Mark Murphy's not a stupid man by any stretch of the imagination. He's just a common guy. Yeah. And people want to hear kind of people want to hear speak. They want to hear, you know, CEO speak. And he's not going to give you that. That's not Mark. And let's be honest, Mark's not the greatest public speaker to begin with, with all the <laughs> uhs yesterday, uhs and ums. Yeah. I mean, if it became a drinking game, you're hammered after the first two sentences. So this was a guy that just wanted to come off as, hey, we're, we're here. We had a great conversation. This is who we thought was the best guy for the job. Uh, but I think he was trying to convey that the process was numerous people. He was trying to convey that Brian Gutekinst and Russ Ball were both involved. Because remember, he wanted to hire Russ Ball as the general manager, and Mike McCarthy didn't want anything to do with it, so that's the reason they brought in Brian Gutekinds. So I think he wanted to make sure that everybody knew what the process was, everybody knew that they were very thorough, that everybody knew they, they interviewed numerous candidates, and that's about how they came to, to Matt LaFleur, was they interviewed 10 people at the very last moment. He was the best one for the job. They went home, they slept on it, they all agreed the next morning, and thus he was hired. So, But also I think, take a look at it this way, Mark Murphy knows there's a window of maybe three to six years with Aaron Rodgers. If this doesn't work out, then what he's doing by claiming the ownership of this is basically saying, blame me. Don't blame Brian, who I picked to be the next general manager of this team. Blame me. It'll be my fault. I can withstand, like a Teflon guy, all the criticism where everybody's going to be coming after my general manager, who I basically made look like a, a little kid sitting at the small table at Thanksgiving. So blame me if this doesn't work out. And if it does work out, well, then he can go and give all the credit to Gutekinds for the personnel, to Russ Ball for working on all the contracts and bringing in the right people and working out Aaron Rodgers' deal to keep it cap flexible. He can give credit to everybody, but if it fails, he can take it all upon himself. Oh, yeah, I think Mark Murphy has, has made himself the poster child for all of this, for, for good or for bad, and it's gonna all going to come down to him, uh, success or failure. Bill, I got, I got one more question while we have you here on the Wisco Sports Show. Lafleur is now the head coach, right? He was introduced yesterday. Sounds like he's going to keep petting. There's rumblings of offensive coordinators who he might want to bring in. What do you think we can come to expect from the Packers as someone who's been through a couple searches? I mean, I'm 20 years old. I remember McCarthy when he was hired, but I don't, no details and, and nothing like this. What can we come to expect? Maybe hear any names, anything like that as he puts a staff together and, and gets ready for the draft. 
Well, I think you're going to see a lot of scrambling here in the next 24 hours. You're going to hear a lot about a lot of hires. And the reason being is because Nick Fangio, Bruce Arians, you've got a lot of guys right now, Kitchens over in Cleveland. You've got a lot of guys starting to put staffs together. Out in Arizona, they're doing it. In New York, they're doing it. So you're seeing all of these assistant coaches that could be out of jobs going to be scooped up. You hope that you're getting quality candidates. You hope you're getting some elevation from guys that have familiarity with the systems that it is they run. I mean, I'm sure if they keep Mike Pettin, Mike Pettin is going to be uh, integral as a former head coach in helping Matt LaFleur kind of put all this together. I'm sure they're really leaning on him right now. Plus, I'm sure he's probably looking in the direction of some of the uh, defensive assistants that he would like. Maybe he wasn't able to bring in because Mike, Mike McCarthy wanted his guys there. So we'll see who they retain. We'll see who they get rid of. Uh, I think right now you're looking at strength and conditioning. You're looking at – I don't think you get rid of a guy like James Campen who's been through the wars. He's been a hell of an offensive line coach for yeah. so long. He's developed a lot of these guys and took some of the crap that Ted Thompson gave him and turned it into something. So I think you're going to see a guy like him retained. But you're going to see a couple of new faces, a couple of young, energetic guys, but specifically guys that may be on the offensive side of the football that understand what it is LaFleur is trying to accomplish, and therefore he can help the guys that are, that are on that offense understand that system particularly better as well, which is more of a West Coast-style offense. And this is, it's funny because it's, you're almost looking in the mirror of a young Mike McCarthy coming into town <laughs> with the same philosophy, the same run scheme, that type of thing, only he's a lot younger, a lot more energetic, and he's got a new voice. The, the parallels are really funny, and I can't wait to watch this unfold. Bill Michaels, uh, you can hear him 11-2 to 2 right here on WKTY. Bill, thanks. Have a great rest of the week, and, and enjoy all this Packers content, and keep up the good work. We love hearing from you over here on this side of the state. This is awesome stuff. I'm going to be out there, as a matter of fact, in March, so I'll say hi to you guys when I get there, okay? Heck yes. We're all waiting to see you. Thanks again, Bill. All right, buddy. Talk to you later. Yeah, you have a good one, Bill. That is Bill Michaels, the big unit, host of The Bill Michaels Show, right? Isn't that appropriate? 11 to 2, you can hear him on WKTY. Man, we were late for a break, but it, it was worth it, right? Get to hear from Bill a little bit. We do have Brewers talk coming up later. I've been promising it, and I'm actually really pumped to talk Brewers. It's not forced. It's not speculation. We have players. We have trades. We have free agent acquisitions to talk about. That coming up in about 10 minutes. we got to put a capstone on the Packers talk, and we'll do that first things first, right when we get back here on the Wisco Sports Show. You're listening to WKTY. My philosophy is, is really to lead, teach, and inspire not only our football team, but, but everybody in this building. And um, we are going to be process-driven. And we are going to be process-driven in the pursuit of bringing a Lombardi trophy back here to Green Bay. We continue to sift through it all, all the details, all the goings-on in Green Bay. Matt LaFleur being hired officially yesterday at that press conference. It's been uh, the talk of the town here on the Wisco Sports Show. You're listening to WKTY. I am your host, Grant Bills. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks again to Bill Michaels for finding time. He is busy as hell. Afternoon show. He's got his huddle show tonight. He's running around doing a million things, so I certainly appreciate him squeezing us in. I love getting to hear from Bill over here in lacrosse, all the way across the state. Matt LaFleur, like I said, hiring yesterday, you heard him right there, kind of his tagline, right? His his wrap-up, something that he probably had prepared uh, before the floor was open for questions. And it's funny because you you heard he wanted to get process-oriented. He wanted to get that in there. He, he wanted to get, you know, lead, teach, and inspire a couple taglines, a couple things that he's trying to brand probably and wanted to make an emphasis in his press conference. The problem was he's a little nervous, so it was a little clunky and it was a little uncomfortable, but as we talked about yesterday, I'm not going to hold nerves against him. I mean, good Lord, he's a head coach in the NFL for the first time in Green Bay, nonetheless. A lot of eyeballs on him yesterday, so I'm, I'm definitely willing to let that one slide, uh, especially with Mark Murphy and as Bill spoke to, not the best public speaker, so 
maybe Matt LaFleur's doing okay. Who knows? Ron Zook was relieved. He was not doing okay. He was relieved of his special teams coordinating duties earlier today. That was the one piece of news that came down the wire. It looks like Joe Philbin, another member of that staff, just wrapped up a stint as an interim head coach. Packers have granted him permission to interview for the Vikings' offensive line coaching job. The Vikings, I think, are looking for a a stalwart, a permanent replacement to replace Tony Sperano. And, and I I mean, Joe Philbin, a guy who's been in the league, he seems like a worthwhile replacement. It's interesting with Joe Philbin, goes from interim head coach to offensive line coach. It's not typically something that you see. I would have expected Philbin to hang around, but the Packers not operating that way. He could be across the border in Minnesota. The Vikings love their former Packers. And I was asking Bill, and we kind of wrapped up the conversation what is the next couple of weeks and the next couple of months going to look like for the rest of Matt LaFleur's staff, right? So Ron Zook was step number one. You cut him loose today. Philbin looks like he's might uh, might be inter, uh, interviewing elsewhere. Heard him speak to Joe Witt Jr., who's a, a highly respected coach in, in the secondary with, with defensive backs. And then, of course, James Camp and the offensive line coach, who I, might be one of the most valuable pieces on this staff. I mean, you speak to the Packers and, and Ted Thompson and Brian Gutekinds being able to find Stud offensive lineman, David Bakhtiari, uh, and, and people who all throughout the years they've found in the third, fourth, fifth round. And they have turned them into something, right? And I think the Packers are known nationally for that. I've heard that on national shows before. Well, part of that is, yeah, identifying the talent, but the other half is coaching it up. You know, turning those late-round picks or mid-round picks into NFL starters. And I don't know if James, James Campen gets enough credit for that. I'm surprised that the Vikings aren't trying to interview him. Maybe the Packers just aren't going to let it happen. They're going to keep him on no matter what they have to do. Money, you know, promotions, whatever. They, I, I think they probably think very highly of James Campen. So those are a couple names and a couple of rumors that have been swirling around. Ron Zook out. Philbin could be out. We'll see what happens with the rest of the defensive staff. And, and Bill spoke to Mike Pettin as well. Maybe he brings in some new guys because last year he might not have had that choice. He might get that choice this year. So a lot of moving pieces that we'll keep an eye on. A couple of things that I wanted to speak about, and we do have Brewers talk around the corner. A couple of things, a couple of details that I thought of and noticed today. Uh, for offensive coordinator. Now, defensive coordinator, it, it looks like Patton's going to be the, the guy. It's all but but closed and official. Maybe he takes a U-turn and, and they go in a different direction. I couldn't imagine. But it looks like they have their defensive coordinator and Mike Patton. They now need a special teams coordinator. How, how does one find, and maybe one of you can tell me on the five-star telecom talking text line, 608-796-2558. How does one go about being a special teams coordinator? Do you do you go for a young gun who who's... Been great working with like kick returners or punters and you elevate him to a special teams coordinator? Or do you go with a failed offensive or defensive coordinator and say, well, special teams isn't that hard. Hopefully you can make it work because that was kind of Ron Zook's shtick, right? Head coach in college, uh, upper level coordinator in the NFL. And they say, well, we'll bring you down. You should be able to handle special teams, right? I don't know how somebody goes about finding a special teams coordinator, but they got to do that now. A hot name that was being thrown around today for offensive coordinator was Mike McDaniel. He's a, an offensive a piece of Kyle Shanahan's staff in San Francisco. He was denied by the Cardinals when they asked to interview him. It looks as though they'll probably deny the Packers as well. Now, I haven't seen a definitive no. I've seen uh, thoughts and rumors from guy. I think Florio from NBC Pro Football Talk was tweeting about it just before the show started. It looks as though he's going to stay in San Fran. But there wasn't a definitive no for Green Bay that I saw. So maybe Matt LaFleur and Kyle Shanahan, they do each other a favor. Now, you got to keep in mind as well that if Shanahan lets Mike McDaniel go, who's one of the hot names to be an OC right now, if he lets him go, it would be easier for him to do so to Green Bay rather than to Arizona. You're letting him out of the division. You're letting him go to a former coaching buddy and a guy he has worked with in Matt LaFleur. I don't know. 
maybe that changes from team to team, or maybe Shanahan just has no interest in letting him go and being promoted at all. I don't know. That's something we're going to have to follow, and that's going to be part of all these moving pieces moving forward. I wanted to talk a little bit, as the Packers put together a staff, there is a trend I have noticed, especially with these newer brand of offenses. And I, I what I was doing before the show started was going on a multiple team websites. I looked at the Rams, I looked at the Vikings, I looked at the Bears, and it depends on the head coach, whether it's offense or defense. But take the Rams, for example. Their head coach is Sean McVay, who is obviously... The, kind of their offensive coordinator because he's an offensive-minded head coach. The offensive coordinator beneath him means less than an offensive coordinator uh, for a team like uh, like the Broncos. Now they have Vic Fangio, who's the head coach, but he needs an offensive coordinator to handle that side of the ball. So it's, it's apples and oranges comparing OCs around the league. But what I noticed with the Rams was, and uh, a couple other teams like, uh, like the Packers and like the Bears, a lot of these teams have a passing game coordinator and a run game coordinator. So an offensive-minded head coach like McVay is going to delegate different pieces of his offense, like the running game, like the passing game, to his assistants, and they break it up a little bit, right? Now, I saw earlier today that the Falcons, I looked on their website as well, not only do they have a passing and a running game coordinator, they have a guy on their staff for clock management and replays, really segmenting, really splitting it up, and I kind of like that. I kind of like the thought of Matt LaFleur running an offense, and bringing in some young guns that he likes, or maybe not young, maybe old guns. <laughs> I don't know if that's what you want to call them. Bringing those guys in and really splitting it up. Lafleur's going to oversee it all, but I want a guy who specializes in quarterbacks and passing. I want a guy who's really big into run games and how to scheme up and draw up blocking schemes and zone blocking and getting the running back in a position to succeed. Really delegate, really split it up so it's very manageable. It's very parceled for each member of your staff. And if you're not, if you're hiring somebody who's younger, who's an up-and-comer, so to say, and this Mike McDaniel certainly sounds like he is that, wouldn't it be easier for those young names to climb and to improve as coaches and leaders if they had to deal with less at once, right? Have a guy for passing. Have a guy for rushing. You're obviously going to have your offensive line coach. Maybe a guy like in Atlanta. I love that. I saw Pro uh, Pro Football Talk tweet about it. They have a guy for clock management and for replays. Two things, let's be honest, Mike McCarthy didn't excel at. Get a guy on your staff who's really good with that situational football to recommend and to assist that head coach in some of those decisions. I think that would be really helpful for Matt LaFleur to not only have an offensive coordinator who works under him, but a segmented and parceled staff that's all delegated and working on different portions of the offense. And I think that's becoming trendy around the rest of the NFL as I go around on team websites and you can look at their coaching staff and and they introduce, obviously, each member and each coach of all the different areas and specialties. I think that's where the NFL is trending. Gone are the days of your offensive coordinator and then a bunch of lowly assistants. I think it's more delegated than that, especially when you have an offensive-minded head coach because he's obviously overseeing the whole offense. But now, I think a guy like McFleur, or not McFleur, LaFleur, could, could benefit from a guy who runs the passing game and runs the, the rushing game and, and a guy who maybe deals with replays and clock management. More cooks in the kitchen might be better in this situation. I know that's a kind of a cliche that's associated with uh, with something bad if you have too many cooks in the kitchen. But I think the more hands, the more cooks working on the meal, well, it, well, let's really go the distance with this analogy. You're making a Thanksgiving meal. I could probably make mashed potatoes, but I don't think I could make a turkey. So we're going to delegate that, right? Somebody's going to bring the green beans. Somebody's going to bring the cranberry sauce. Now all of a sudden you have a bunch of different cooks, all with different styles, with different backgrounds. Hey, my dad can carve a mean turkey, but my grandma Pat was always the one who cooked the turkey. 
right? My mom made the rolls. Aunt Melinda at our family Thanksgiving always brought an appetizer, right? Everybody specializes in something different. And when you're working on a meal or a football team as a whole, I think more ideas, a more diverse coaching staff and background is beneficial. And I, I would love to see Matt LaFleur and this Packers team go in that direction. And I'm sure we're going to talk plenty about that here on the Wisco Sports Show in the coming months as we move towards free agency and the draft and eventually towards training camp next year and the 2019 season. It's going to fly by, so I can't wait to keep talking about it. I'm also really excited and can't wait to talk some Brewers baseball. Brewers made a move last night. We were going to talk Brewers on the Wisco Sports Show yesterday. We didn't get to it. And I think it was for the best because the Brewers actually made a signing. They got a catcher last night. And it's kind of a point of controversy right now. I want to get into that and about some trade rumors as well as we move along the Wisco Sports Show here today. Don't go anywhere. I am your host, Grant Bills. I'm enjoying today's show. I'm revved up. I'm ready to talk some Brewers. Don't go anywhere. You're listening here on WKTY. Sports Show rolls on here on WKTY, both at 96.7 FM, 580 AM, streaming live at WKTYsports.com and on our mobile app as well. Y'all know the drill. You know how to listen. My name is Grant Bills. I am your host. Thanks for tuning in. It's finally time to talk some Brewers baseball. I've been wanting to get into it all week. And then on Monday, the Packers announced they're going to hire Matt LaFleur. And then on Tuesday, we have a press conference to introduce Matt LaFleur. And then yesterday, we obviously have to continue that chatter. And everything just rolls and rolls and rolls along. I mean, the Packers have just been spoon-feeding us this entire week. I guess the announcement was made on Tuesday, and then the press conference was on Wednesday. So we've really had our fill of Packers talk this week. And maybe it was all for the best, because the Brewers actually did something. And I don't say that as a negative, like I wish they were doing more, but it's just a matter of fact, they actually signed. They physically signed. The Brewers have acquired a new player, Yasmani Grandal, the catcher, former catcher, for the Los Angeles Dodgers, signed last night a one-year deal for $18.25 million, which, if you're paying attention and you're doing the math in your head, yes, he is the highest-paid brewer for this upcoming year, just or, just uh, over Ryan Braun. So that's something to note. I'm not saying it's good or bad, but it's something to note. If you want to join in on the Brewers Talk, go ahead, 608-796-2558 on the Five Star Telecom Talk and Text Line. You can also tweet at us, at WKTY. You can tweet at me at Keystroker Grant. You want to follow uh, along to a lot of the content and the tweets and the messages that are going out about this show and what I do here on WKTY. You should throw me a follow at Keystroker Grant. So the Brewers now have a new highest paid player. And man, I'm excited. I'm excited to talk about it. I don't care that it's for $19 million. I don't care. It's it's something to talk about. It's fun. It's, it's funny. We were talking earlier today. Pitchers and catchers report in, in early February. I mean, we are really getting close to spring training and and all of these uh, these things unfolding. I saw a commercial this morning for the Masters. I'm like, man, we just got done with New Year's, and I'm already like craving. I'm looking forward to the spring when all these things get rolling. And maybe it was the lack of meaningful football late in the season that's really got me pining for some for some new sports action coming in the spring. And then the Brewers just pushed me over the edge last night, acquiring what I consider to be a, a really valuable memory uh, member member of their battery for this upcoming year. Yasmani Grandal, one year, 18.25 million. Now, the interesting thing is details started to emerge. I, I read this from Ken Rosenthal and and some others as well. Grandal turned down that qualifying offer, which was about 17 million from LA. So about a million and a quarter difference. It's not a ton of money. I mean, it's enough money to, to definitely leave. But if you would have loved LA, you would have thought 17-ish. It was almost closer to 18, like 17.9 was the qualifying offer. 
There's not a huge difference. I, I think Yasmani maybe just wanted to come to Milwaukee. And then, of course, the Mets, it comes out, offered him anywhere between 50 and $60 million for four years. I mean, if he wanted a long-term contract, he could have got that as well. Instead, he comes to Milwaukee. And the narrative and the conversation over the last 24 hours now, as it broke last night, is really interesting. I, I think the 18 and a quarter million really scares some people. And I'm here to tell you, d- don't. Don't be bothered by it. First of all, as sports fans, we should never worry about ownership of our team spending money. It's not our money. We patronize these teams. We buy tickets, right? We listen. We watch television programs. We buy merchandise. We should never we should never be trying to save our owners money. If they want to pay for a player, amen. Have at it. I'm never, ever going to worry about an owner spending money, especially in baseball when there's no salary cap. Now, the worry comes, especially with the Milwaukee Brewers and the nature of being a small market team in a league with no salary cap, is when you sign huge contracts, really rich contracts, your worry is that it's going to handcuff your team down the line somewhere. For example, when Ryan Braun signed that massive deal, your worry, of course, is, well, in four years, in five years, is this going to hamstring the franchise? Is this going to block our ability as the Milwaukee Brewers to go out and sign other players? And I get that. That's 100% valid, and I have that worry every time they they sign a multi-year contract. When the Bucks signed Ursan Ilyasova, I thought the same thing. I said, man... He's aging. In two years, are are we going to be thinking the same thing about this deal? What's lucky for us as Brewer fans, especially in this instance, it's a one-year deal. Yeah, they're paying him a ton of money, $18.5 million, but one, it's not our money, and two, after this year, it will have zero effect on the Milwaukee Brewers organization. Zero. So in terms of worrying the long-term future of the Brewers franchise, don't. Just don't. Maybe Osmani Grandal plays phenomenal this year. And that $18 million looks like a discount. Or maybe he plays awful and Pena and Kratz take the majority of the time. At the end of the year, who gives a damn? Because he'll be gone and he will not impact the Brewers' ability to sign free agents next year. Like a starting pitcher. Or like bullpen help. Or an infielder. It won't affect it at all. So I think we are scared by Yasmani Grandal, especially because our last impression of Grandal was in the, the NLCS and he was abys- He was bad. He was really bad. He might have been, He might as well have been wearing a Brewer jersey because he couldn't block a ball. He had a lot of pass balls. He couldn't feel the throw. He couldn't lay a tag. He couldn't do any of that. And it really cost the Dodgers big time. But when you sit down and look at the numbers, and I'm not going to read you percentages and all that crap, he hit about 230 last year, and he hit 24 home runs in a in a big ballpark. That should give you a, a pretty good picture of he's a guy who hits with power, and as a lefty, he's a switch hitter, most of his power coming from the left-hand side. That short fence, that short porch out in right field of Miller Park should be a match made in heaven. And for a year, maybe Osmani Grandal gets hot. He provides some offense because, let's face it, Kratz had hot streaks. Pena's had some big, memorable hits and home runs. But neither one of them are the poster child for um, for consistency in the bottom of that Brewers lineup in a place where they desperately needed it, especially with Orlando Arcia struggling as he did. And obviously the pitcher spot is the pitcher spot. You want to kind of solidify that portion of the lineup and bringing in a guy like Yasmani Grandal to hit in Miller Park, which is more of a hitter's ballpark, especially with an advantage to the left-handed hitter. It should work. It should work. And I think all Brewers fans understand that. But A, you got to get past his performance in the 2019 NLCS, which is tough. I get that. 2018, I guess. 2018. You got to get past that. And you got to get past the $18 million, which isn't hard when you take into account, yeah, it's a lot of money this year, but A, it's not our money, and B, when this season wraps up, he's gone. That money is gone. They're not going to end up paying him more down the line. It's a one-year deal. Why not? I love it. Makes your team deeper. I think 
solidifies the bottom of the lineup, gives you a more consistent bat down there. And by the way, a little bit of a public service announcement, and I'm a prisoner of the moment all the time as well, but if we're going to hang up on Yasmani Grandal's awful NLCS, Lorenzo Cain had a pretty bad stretch in the lot, in the postseason as well. Christian Yelich, for as hot as he was at the end of the year, he cooled off, and I know pitchers tried to pitch around him, and an opposition did a pretty good job, but he didn't hit well. Aguilar didn't have a great postseason. I mean, guys have a bad stretch of games. It happens, especially in baseball. So judging a player on a stretch of seven games, I don't know if that's entirely fair. It's obviously something that goes into your mind, and it especially, I think, is is made a little bit more prevalent, and that worry is made more prevalent when you're paying him $18.5 million. But don't worry. Don't worry at all. If it goes horrible this year, it goes horrible. <laughs> Whatever. It's not like they can sign free agents in the middle of the year. So it's not like the Brewers are going to get to June or July and say, God, I wish we had money to sign this guy because it's the middle of the season, right? So once next year wraps up, that money is paid out and the Brewers are right back in square one where they started. So don't worry. I see people like, ah, he's too expensive. Who cares how much money he costed? It's one year. He's not going to affect the Brewers past this season. I pay him $30 million. I I would have said, wow, Adonacio and management really, really wanted this guy. I don't know if he's worth that much. But by that same token, $30 million this year is $30 million this year. And it won't affect the franchise moving forward. And that's really where the concern comes with these big contracts, right? Is you, you worry, especially with a small market team, about handcuffing your franchise down the line. Mortgaging the future. We always hear that expression, right? You're not mortgaging anything with a one-year deal. To a catcher, especially. <laughs> Who cares? And I keep making that noise. It's probably a little disrespectful. But don't worry. Be happy. We go to the five-star telecom talking text line. John says, need to remember that the Brewers, as well as they did in 18, uh, 2018, are only in year three of a rebuilding team. They did not pick up Grandal for his bat. He's a 220-240 hitter. This is likely signing trade bait reasons only. After July, Kratz and Pena will probably be back behind number two position. We'll probably be back behind the number two position. Okay, I get what you're saying, John. And that's fair. I mean, you could use him as trade bait. I, I just... I mean, at that point, you could use Pena's trade bait, too. I, I think if you get a hot player, you could go ahead and trade him. I, and, and John, I know you you brought this up and th- appreciate the text, that they're only in year three of a rebuilding team. I, I, I'm, I don't care anymore. This team made the NLCS last year. They were one game away from the World Series. In terms of what year they are or how far along they are, I, I'm not taking that into account anymore. Last year, the Brewers arrived. This year, they could regress And I still wouldn't say, well, you know, maybe we got a little overexcited. The rebuild's still taking place. No, they're a contending team this year that's going to have a down year if that's what happens. I'm I'm done talking about the rebuild. They got players in the farm system. They got good players on the roster. They got a great bullpen and a couple arms that you like and are excited about. I'm done worrying about the rebuild. That doesn't affect how I think anymore. Now, maybe you think differently, and that's just fine. I'm just giving you my opinion. 608-796-2558. That's the five-star telecom talk and text line. When we come back, I want to talk a little speculation. I want to have a little conversation about one position in particular. Now, the Brewers haven't made a move at this position, but I think until the Brewers make a big move, a splashy move, whether in free agency or trade, at this position, there's just going to be a contingent of baseball fans, Brewers fans, who just aren't happy. Until this happens, until the Brewers make a big move here, fans aren't going to be happy because they won't see their team really going for it, quote-unquote. They won't see the Brewers pushing all their chips to the middle of the table. And I think that's a problem. I want to have that conversation coming up next as we wrap up the Wisco Sports Show here on WKTY. Final segment of the Wisco Sports Show here on WKTY. I am your host, Grant Bills. 
Hope you're having a good night. Thanks for tuning in. We're talking Brewers baseball, and it's about damn time. Am I right? We got some Brewers baseball to talk about with so much Packers news swirling around. It's been difficult to carve out time, especially only on an hour-long program, but we're making it happen today. They signed Yasmani Grandal one year, $18.25 million. And this move, I think, expectedly so when you have a price tag that high and it's only a one-year deal. I don't want to say controversy, but a little resistance and a little conflict in the fan base. The five-star telecom talk and text line 608-796-2558. John says he signed for one year at $18 million. Unless Milwaukee takes it all this year, not trading him is a waste. Small market teams don't bring in big names for one year to be a part of the club permanently. It's to help build for something bigger and more permanent. In Milwaukee's case, I would guess pitching. John, I'm glad you said that. And I'm not disagreeing with you. And when, when we have conversations on the show... I'm not trying to say that I'm right. I'm not trying to say that you're wrong. I mean, this is how you have conversation, right? Is you give an opinion, somebody gives an opinion, and you like to talk about it. And and what you said at the beginning, John, I think is really important. You said, unless Milwaukee takes it all this year, not trading him is a waste, okay? I'm going to focus on that because this is actually what I want to talk about. Brewers fans, and, and look, Bill Michaels might be, I don't want to call him the worst because it's, it's not a good or a bad thing. It's just an opinion. Bill Michaels and... Other hosts around the, the state are really big into this. They're saying, hey, until the Brewers go get that starting pitcher, they go get that ace, they're not all in to win, right? And, and last year, nobody could say, hey, the Brewers are all in to win because they didn't trade away everything. They didn't dump the entire farm for two players and, and really say, hey, after this year, we're screwed. We better win it this year because we pushed all of our chips to the middle of the table. Let's, let's get off that attitude. Let's stop. Let's stop thinking that way. And, and John, you said if Milwaukee doesn't take it all this year, it's a waste that they brought him in. I mean, that's I don't think that's a way to look at it. You you can't quantify and, and qualify moves as, well, if they don't win it all, it's not going to matter. Or if they don't win the World Series, it was a waste. I mean, well, what's the point in sports if that's the way that we're going to think? This team has never won a World Series. Baseball's been played for a long time. Milwaukee, at least relative to me, I'm 20 years old. Milwaukee's been around. The Brewers have been around for a long time. And they've never won a World Series. And I'm sure they've tried a lot of different ways. The most traditional way for a small market team is to build up that farm system, get as many prospects as possible. And then when you think you're close, you blow them all in a, in a spending spree and you make one big run. A blowout of all blowouts and you try to get it done. And if you fail, you fail. You're screwed for a couple of years and you start it all over. I, I just, I don't know if that strategy is going to work with the Brewers. And I think David Stearns is trying to get away from that. And we're talking now about Matt, Madison Baumgartner, right? He's been the hot name. The Brewers are thinking about trading him. I looked up Madison Baumgartner, and I'm, I'm taking a peek at some of the headlines surrounding this right now. First three headlines that come up. I like to do this just to try to get a vibe of, of what the media might be saying. The first one is, it's from Bleacher Report, 10 hours ago. Madison Baumgartner to the Brewers' blockbuster would create Cubs' 2019 worst nightmare. So obviously that's, that would be perfect for the Brewers if they're creating the Cubs' nightmare. That They're high on it. Now you're looking at uh, why you look at reviewing the brew. This is a day ago, written by David Gasper, who's a UWL product. Milwaukee Brewers, why trading for Madison Baumgartner would be a mistake. I mean, there's all different takes. Everybody's got a different opinion, right? My thing about this is Brewers fans have been taught and we've been conditioned over the last 15 years, especially, to think in terms of on or off, zero or one, either yes or no. There's no in between. Either the Brewers are dumping their entire farm system, and they're trading for everything, and if they don't win it this year, they're screwed. Or they're sitting back, and they're not trying to win. They're not going all in, on or off, right? Either the, the switch is flipped, or it's not. 
I'm just I'm just trying to get away from that because I don't think that's the way David Stearns is operating. It seems as though the Giants want Corbin Burns, Brandon Woodruff, Freddie Peralta. They want one of those pitchers in return because the Giants need to rebuild a portion of their pitching staff, right? Here, you take the veteran, the seasoned veteran who's won. He'll help you with your postseason push here in the near future. We want something to start rebuilding and rekindling this pitching staff. It only makes sense, but the problem is the Brewers don't want to part with those prospects, which is only natural, which is how most... And why most trades never go down is because neither side is comfortable parting with one of their most precious uh, prospects or assets in a in a seasoned veteran type of player. As Brewers fans and, and as myself included, I want to start thinking in terms of uh, a spectrum, not on or off, not a, a switch that's either up or down, zero or one, because I don't think that's the way David Stearns is operating. And and I was driving around this morning and I was trying to think of of how I would approach a Madison Baumgartner trade if I'm David Stearns. And I I compare it to the game Risk. I, I'm not a huge like board game person. I'm not a huge card game. My mom loves to play, so when I'm home, we we kind of humor her and we play with her. And, and it's fun. I just it, it's not my thing. I do like to play Risk. Get a couple guys together, get a case of beer, and and just play Risk for like three hours, right? If you've never played Risk. Huge world map, all the countries, right? And the whole idea is to fill up the board with your game pieces and take over the world, eliminate everybody else, right? And at some point in this game, a lot of times, the winner is somebody who just says, screw it, here we go. And he's like, I'm attacking you, I'm attacking you, I'm attacking you, and I'm I'm going for it right now. Now, that sometimes works, but sometimes the guy who's playing Risk, and if you've played this, Monopoly's probably another game that would work too. Sometimes the guy or, or girl who wins the game is the dude who just sits back, waits, tries to fly under the radar, just waiting, 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 and they wait for that opportunity to present itself rather than trying to grab the bull by the horns and going for it. And instead of David Stearns taking, all right, uh, looking at last year and saying we were one game away, this year's our shot. This year's our one and only shot and saying we're going to trade you, 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 you. We're dumping you all away. We want Madison Baumgartner. We want Manny Machado. We want whoever, Bryce Harper. I know that's a bad example, but we want three solid players. We are going to trade our entire farm system and we are going for it right now. Instead of thinking that way, David Stearns is sitting there. He's saying, hey, we came within one game of the World Series last year with a team that some people didn't even know if they'd make the playoffs. Instead of thinking in terms of on or off, yes or no, Let's broaden our minds a little bit. I think there's other ways to do this. And the Brewers have been operating under that MO of wait, 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 go and trade for CC Sabathia. Or wait, 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 go. Sign Sean Markham, sign Zach Granke, and we have two years to do this. And after that, we're done. That hasn't worked. 2008 didn't work. 2011 didn't work. And I think David Stearns is operating in a different way. I think he's trying something new. I don't know if it'll work. But nothing's worked for the Brewers in the past in terms of getting to a World Series in my lifetime. Let's try to expand our mind just a little bit on how the Brewers are doing this. Instead of saying, hey, if they don't win this year, Grandal, that $18 million is a waste. First of all, it's not our money. I'd certainly pick to be in Adnacio's position and have $18 million to blow. It's not our money. Who cares? I don't think it's a waste. They're bringing an exciting, a, a good player in, and they're improving this team for a year. If they win a World Series, I don't, I don't think it's a waste. They just didn't get it done. Let's stop thinking in terms of the Brewers are going for it or they're not. You think that's, that's it's a very knee-jerk way to look at this, and we'll drive ourselves crazy. Holy smokes, as Brewers fans, if we got to think like that for the next couple of years, we're always scared that the Brewers are going to pull the rug out from under us, trade away all their good young players, and, and hedge all of their bets on one postseason run. It didn't work in 2008. It didn't work in 2011. 
They didn't try it last year, and they got just as close, and their farm system is way more stocked than it was in 2012 or in 2009. And I think Stearns believes in that. I think he's waiting. He's waiting for his perfect opportunity. He's waiting for that player, that pitcher, or that second baseman, or that catcher to come available, and instead of forcing his way in and trying to to just make it happen, he's waiting for the perfect opportunity. And I think that might go just a little bit better. Maybe it'll blow up in his face. But we're going to watch along just a couple of weeks now until Pitchers Catchers report early in February down in Maryvale, Arizona. Thanks to everyone who chimed in on the five-star telecom talk and text line. This is a conversation that's going to be ongoing, especially in baseball, because everybody's got a different opinion, a different MO on how to build a championship roster, especially when it's complicated by the nature of a small market team, right? So this is fun. I I love this. I'm, I'm excited. I wish we had two more hours to talk Brewers baseball, but unfortunately we don't. Coming up, one more Wisco Sports Show tomorrow on Friday. We'll also have local basketball action. Fill you in with all of that tomorrow morning, bright and early 6 to 9 with Dave and Scrady. Right now, Bill Ryder's in the door next. I can't wait to talk to you tomorrow. <laughs>